All right, thank you again for being here. This morning, we're a little bit later than normal, so I can see the clock so I know how late I'm going to be, okay? Just kidding, we won't be there that long. We're going to look in Ephesians for a minute, and then we're going to, we're going to share a thought. By the way, this, today is our deaf anniversary, right? How many? 16 years. Thank you for being here. Let's give them a, this is how, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You clap like this. They can't hear you. Okay, they can see you, and that's scary enough. Okay, I want to share a thought this morning. As we look, if you look through history, the world has been impacted by people, I'm going somewhere with this, by people who did not settle for being average. They did not settle for being normal. In a spiritual sense, we understand if you have any type of history of the Dark Ages, and the spiritual reformation of the Dark Ages uh, was done by men by Martin Luther who found justification by faith um, and decided not to keep that to himself but willing to put his life in his hand along with many other reformers when the gospel was being squelched. He could have just been average and been glad for his salvation and avoided uh, potential persecution and some of them did not avoid it at all. We think about the Bible. Do you know it used, to be, it used to be against the law to have a Bible in the Dark Ages? You would be put to death just for owning a Bible. And yet men by like Tyndale and Wycliffe put their lives on the line to get the Bible translated and get the Bible out to the masses. They could have been content just to live out their lives, being saved, but they put their lives on the line to get the Bible out when it was for, forbidden. If you've ever writ, read any portion of the Fox's Book of Martyrs, <coughs> you see people that, that simply for f- just simply being saved and trying to live the Christian faith were persecuted and put to death. You think about our, our Baptist forefathers who were, who were uh, uh, many times drowned because baptism was looked uh, frowned, up, frowned upon in the Dark Ages, particularly because of the uh, of the input of the Pope and the Catholic Church. They, they're like, you want to be baptized? Fine, we'll baptize you permanently. But people were willing to put their lives on the line because they didn't want to just be normal. They didn't just want to have what they have. They saw a bigger picture. And I think we need to see a bigger picture as well. We never face any of that stuff. I'll just be honest. And maybe we will. Our world is getting darker. I hope you know that. We see what's going on in the Middle East. We see what's going on with our, our politicians and our country and the corruption and, the, and the <coughs> just the wickedness. <coughs> it may come someday. It may come someday. Probably make us make a decision. The book of Ephesians is a book about our spiritual riches in Christ. Paul's epistles, you can really break them down into <coughs> to two portions, right? He usually, the first part of the book, he'll talk about doctrinal issues Here's the things that, uh, that apply to our lives, who we are in Christ. And then you get to the second part of the book, and he says, now, here's how you put that into practice. Or because of that, here's how you ought to live. And that's just Christianity, by the way. In chapter 4, he begins to talk about their walk or how they are to live their life and, and live the truth. But at the end of chapter 3, he shares, he shares some glorious truths to help us in our relationship with God. Look at verse 15, some of these we were, and this is introduction. We, we bear his name, think about that, verse 15, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. 
We're named after Christ. What a wonderful thing that we represent him. Verse 16 tells us that we have his strength, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened by, in, by, with might by his spirit in the inner man. Aren't you thankful for that? You can't live a Christian life without God's power in your life, and his spirit works within us to help us to live the Christian life. Amen. Verse 17, we have his presence, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. His presence is always with us. We have his love, verse 17, 18, and 19. That you may be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of God, which passeth knowledge. Isn't that funny? He says, I want you to know the love of God, but you know what? It passes all knowledge. You can't. It's that deep. But we might want to get in and get something out of it. And then we have his abundance. Look at verse 20. Now unto him... <coughs> that is able to do exceeding abundantly. That's almost redundant. Above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Do you know God can do far more than you ask him to do, to do or you even think he could do? There's nothing, here's a point with this and we're gonna go somewhere. There's nothing normal about God and his grace and his love and his power in our lives. Nothing normal about it. So therefore, should not we take that a step further? There ought to be nothing normal about us. Look at verse 21. Shouldn't God get something out of all of this he's given us? He says in verse 21 what he wants. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout ages, world without end. Through Jesus Christ, God wants to have glory in his church, and that comes about when we... Live and act like Christians and honor and glorify and lift up Jesus Christ in this world. What kind of life should God get from us? A life that brings an obvious glory to him by our involvement in the church and the way we live. But you know what happens? Far too often that's just a one-sided relationship. You see, there's nothing normal about what he does and offers to us. But the fact of the matter is, for Christians, there's usually all he gets from us, just the average, just the normal. So what's the message this morning? Here it is. I don't want to be normal. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, you've already nailed that. You're not normal. I don't mean like that, okay? And I get it. Everybody talks about this spectrum thing. Look, we're all on the spectrum, okay? You say, who's on the spectrum? Look in the mirror. I see him every morning. Now, he looks great, though, but, you know. What I mean is I don't want to be a normal Christian. Amen. I don't want to live below the riches of his grace. I don't want to live far below the things that I should do. So here's the point. Let me show you a couple areas where we should not settle to be the average normal Christian. Happy with showing up to church. Happy with having a bumper sticker on our car. Happy with carrying a Bible around. But there's nothing else in our life that says, I love Jesus. There's nothing else in my life that would bring honor and glory to God in this church and in this world. Nothing. That's not what God wants. He offers us all of this. So where should we not be normal? First of all, in spirituality. 
You would think with all of the spiritual blessings that are stored, associated with salvation, we would want a spirituality that is top-notch. We would want everything that God has to offer. And yet far too often we're settling for less. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, which really is, the, to me, <coughs> the theme of, <coughs> of the book, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now let me ask you something. You look at your Christian life, you look at your spiritual life, how would you define that? You can't say, well, pastor, I nailed it, I'm perfect. I'm not talking about that. We all got a ways to go. But are you just settling for average? Are you just settling for subpar? God doesn't desire that for us. God wants a spirituality that is not just evidenced by a church attendance, but by our life 24-7. Well, 24-7, what day? Seven days a week. Uh, how many weeks? Uh, 52 weeks in a year. Okay, how many months? However many there are. How many years? Till you die. Okay? God wants you, God wants all of it. God's given us all that we need. You know, think about prayer. What does he say about prayer? Pray without ceasing. Now, most of us, to be honest with you, we're the opposites. We cease without praying. Now, when he says pray without ceasing, does he mean that we should be on our knees 24 hours? No, but the presence of God ought to be there so much that whenever we have a need, it's just natural for us to speak to God. That's what it is. Most of us have 911 prayer. Come on now. I just, and by the way, when someone gets up and preaches on prayer, they're not perfect at it, so I get it. It's one of those areas that's like, I'm working on it. But we're like Jonah. You know, God says, hey, I want you to do this. And Jonah's like, I'm going the other direction. When did Jonah pray? In the belly of the big fish? I mean, that's a really good place to have a prayer meeting. At least he did that. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with praying when you have an emergency. But it ought not be the only time. See, most of our prayer is reactive. We're praying in reaction to something that's already happened. We're praying in reaction to something we have a need for. But shouldn't prayer be proactive? Right? Didn't Jesus say, give us this day our daily bread? Now look, most of you probably are going to go home. Sundays you probably don't cook. But you're going to go home, and if you want to eat, there's something in the fridge. Or, you know... Um, Gotcha. Thanks for fixing it, guys. Okay. But, or, or if you're rich, you can go to Taco Bell. I'm not saying things are getting expensive, but when the first thing they give you at Taco Bell is a loan application, something's wrong. But anyhow, <clears throat> you know, you, you have food, but God's saying, that could change any minute. You got to understand where, you're, where this is coming from. It's coming from me. And so, you know, lead us not into temptation. Most of us wait until temptation's there, and God's like, why don't you pray ahead of time? So we're, we need to be proactive and not just reactive. Amen. He wants us to pray all of the time. Amen. Most of us treat prayer like the lazy worker that's at work, and the boss comes and says, your job is horrible, I'm firing you. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you're going to fire me? Uh, give me another chance, I'll work hard. Why don't you just work hard in the first place? 
We treat God like that, like, okay, God, I'm not going to pray. But, you know, today I have this emergency. And by the way, I'm not saying if you haven't prayed in a while and you have an emergency, you shouldn't pray. Pray. But I'm saying, why don't we get used to it ahead of time? He tells us scripture should be 24-7. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate only twice, day and night. How long's day? When the sun's out. How long is night? When it's dark. What is it saying? So I'm supposed to be on my knees praying with the Bible 24-7? No, but Scripture and the principles, I'm staying away from that. And the truths of Scripture should always be at the forefront of our mind. We have a decision to make. We ought to be able to think, does the Bible speak to this? Does the Bible tell me how I can do that? Most of us don't do that. Scripture is vitally important. I have this problem, Pat, and I get it. Sometimes we're newer and we don't know the scriptures, but, but you ought to be thinking when there's a problem. Is there a scripture that can get me through that? You know what happens a lot of time when you read your scripture on a regular basis? God will give you that truth right when you needed it. Yeah. How many of you ever got that? Like, man, I just read about that today or yesterday or the day before. God was preparing you for that. But most Christians, <coughs> we treat the Bible like a textbook in school. Now, not like when I was in high school. I got one textbook in high school in 10th grade. I opened up my locker. I threw it in there. I never went back to my locker. I never studied for it. I didn't even go to class, so that was a problem. That's probably why they didn't want me to go there anymore. But if you were a normal kid and went to school, you get a textbook, right? That textbook is only important to you, and the contents of the textbook is only important to you when a test came up. Then it's like, what page am I supposed to be studying? You're not studying it because, like, you know, man, I don't have nothing to do tonight. I just want to open up this textbook and study. You don't do that. That's how most of us are with the Bible. Something happens, like, wait, does God speak about that anywhere? Where's the book of uh, Hezekiah? There is no book of Hezekiah. Okay? But as we grow and we get in it, we're building a foundation of truth to fortify us in our life. So let me ask you the question before we move on. How's your spiritual life? Are you, for, are you studying for normal? <clears throat> Do you know that's a relationship with God? Amen. Let me ask this and we'll move on. <clears throat> if most of us treated our human relationships the way we've treated our relationship with God, how would that go? That one bothers me too. I'm moving on. <laughs> Secondly, in spirit. The kind of spirit that we have. What do I mean by that? <coughs> I like the spirit of Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, you can jot that down and look at it later, Elijah was a great prophet. He, God told him to bring Elijah along, Elisha alongside of him. Elijah was going to be taken to heaven. Elisha was taken over. And so when this is going to happen, Elisha wants to be there. In, in 2 Kings chapter 2, in verse 9, it says, And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I shall be taken away. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Can you imagine that? Elijah was a great prophet. Now, he wasn't popular with the politicians. They sent a guy, he called down fire from heaven. That's somebody you probably want to listen to. But here he is, he's going to heaven, and Elisha says, you're a great prophet, you've done great things, you know what I want? I want a double portion. I want double what you have. Yep. Can, can I tell you what happened? He got it. Depending on how you define it, Elijah did eight miracles, Elisha did 16. 
If you count prophecies that were fulfilled in that number, it would be 14 for Elijah and it would be 28 for Elisha. They feared Elisha. The, 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 key, the, the enemy king would plan all these operatives to go in there to get Israel and Elisha knew what was going on before it ever happened and he would tell the king like, hey, he's coming, go over here. In fact, the other king said, there's a spy. And someone says, it's not a spy, it's Elisha. He knows what's happening. God tells him, and he's telling the guy before you ever knew. But I like his spirit. You know why he got that? Because he wanted it. He wanted that double portion. He wanted to God to work in his life to twice the effort of Elijah. Now, let me ask you this. How bad do you want God to work in your life? Because I'm just going to be real honest with you, most of us don't want that. Because we think we would be some type of, of spiritual freak, some kind of Jesus nut. By the way, Adrian, and it's good to see you guys. Welcome back. They're back with us. Let's give them a hand. Mostly for, that's mostly for Emily, okay? She's my favorite. Don't tell her I said that. But, but we just, if, God, if you really got that double portion of God's spirit, it would change you radically. Yeah. You know what the problem is? We don't want that. Do you know God's power helps us make great changes in our life? Amen. We saw that in verse 16 of Ephesians, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened by might with his spirit in the inner man. Do we really want to be different? We must understand that we are a different person because of salvation. How many of you understand that? That's in the Bible. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Yeah. Ephesians says he are, we are his workmanship. That means we are a new product. But after we are a different person, we must decide that we want to be that new person. In other words, we are the new person, but we need to decide that we're okay with God helping us to live a different way. God doesn't want us to be new but live old. We're not supposed to hide that. But you have to make that decision. God is not going to force it on you. Then we make changes, and the Spirit of God gives us the power to follow through. You say, but Pastor, it's hard. I'm struggling to make changes. Here's why. Most of the time, we're not willing to put the effort in to make the change. See, we think we'll sit there, and we think God's just going to pick us up and automatically make us a different person. We're going to live different. You've got to want to. Now, like I said, you need his power to do it, but God doesn't force you. But can I just tell you something? When you strive to live for him and you decide to live for him and you try to make those changes, the spirit of God empowers you to be able to make those changes. Amen. That's why unspiritual reformation in our life will never be permanent. It may last for a while, but I'll tell you what, you get in tune with God's spirit and you're strengthened with that might and inner man, you'll make changes that you never thought you could make. People throughout the ages, alcoholics or whatever, you name the addiction, they have got permanent, lasting change. Why? Because they weren't doing it by themselves. Yep. And I'm all for trying to help addiction, but let me just tell you something. If it's separated from Christianity and the power of God, it's, 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 it's uh, tedious at best. But I'll tell you what, if it's connected to the word of God and it's connected to the power of God, great things can happen. 
God can transform your life in ways you'll never thought, you would have never thought that he could have. The Spirit of God can make us a different person, but not if we're not willing to do different things. And then you know what happens? Once we start making those changes, <coughs> God uses us to help others. So you can't be a different person without someone noticing. You can't <coughs> experience all these spiritual blessings in Christ that he talks about without this world noticing. And by the way, they may criticize it, they may mock it, but I guarantee you there's something there that, you're, that gets to their heart. They can argue with what you believe. They can argue with everything you want. They cannot argue with what God is doing in your life. It's confusing to them. I don't want to be normal. <coughs> Third, <coughs> in sharing, in sharing, <coughs> the marching order to share the gospel was given by Christ, and he gave it in the book of Acts to his believers, his disciples. Yep. Acts 1.8, and I can give you all the verses. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And so it starts in there, and I won't go through it. You know it already if you've been here for a while. It starts from where we're at, and we spread the gospel everywhere. He said, that's the dictate. That's what you're supposed to do. That's the purpose. Get after it. Well, let's see. Let's, let's give those early disciples a report card, and let's see how they did. Acts 17, 6. It says this, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come thither also. Sounds to me like people were taking notice. Yep. Sounds to me like they were taking the gospel out in such a transformative way that the people said, hey, I've heard about these guys. These guys are coming to our city. They turned the world upside down, and now they're here trying to do it here. Yeah. You know what I would love? I would love for our city to say, I don't know much about that church down there, but they're making a difference in this city. And by the way, it's not the church making the difference. It's Christ making a difference, but he uses the church. I would love to turn this city upside down. We say, Pastor, it needs it. And by the way, I am a lifelong resident. I was born... I don't even know where to go with that. I was born 10 blocks from here. It's, it's now kind of... I think it's in the same asylum now. That kind of, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Pacific Hospital? That's what it is. I was there on a visit once. Trust me, it is. That kind of fits the whole mode. Okay, it's like, that's where I was born. They're like, that figures. What cell were you in? Anyhow, I love Long Beach. I've seen Long Beach change over the years. And I get it. <coughs> I want to make a difference in this city. Well, Pastor, I don't live in Long Beach. All right, you're, let's just spread it out a little bit. I want them to know our church, yeah. not because we're knuckleheads, not because we're rude, but because we spread the gospel. Yes, Did you catch what brother, um, no, thank you for sharing, uh, singles retreat, brother Hanson said, did you hear that? His dad went to his church, a Lutheran church, he went to his church and said, I don't know how I'm going to heaven. How can I, how can, can you tell me? He goes, well, not me, but there's this Baptist church, and I know that's what they do. 
At least somebody knew there was a church that knew. I would hope someone would say, you know, this whole heaven thing, what's it about? I don't know, but there's that Pacific Baptist church. It's not going to happen if we're normal. By the way, I like that they were willing to go on a limb. Uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 25. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. So they're getting a little bit of guys to go with them. Who are these men? Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, these guys were so in. It's like they were putting their lives on the line. Yep. I mean, we didn't even come to church when we had a hurricane. Remember how many of the hurricane we had a month ago? It was rain. Rain. By the way, that's how we are, right? We get an inch of rain in California. Stormwatch 2024. I know, my patio deck chair fell over. <laughs> These guys put their lives on the line for Christ. Can we not knock on a door? Can we not hand out an invitation? Can't we invite someone to friend day? Pastor, I invited someone, and they, they said no. Come to me. We'll do counseling for a couple months, and we'll help you get through that. There's somebody else that'll say yes. By the way, don't you say no? Huh, we don't want you there anyhow. Don't, just be nice. We invite everybody we can. We're kind to everybody we can. And I love this one. <coughs> First Acts chapter, maybe I don't like this one. Acts 24, verse 5. Here's what they said about these guys. For we, this, for we have found this man a pestilent fellow. This guy's just a pest. He keeps telling us the truth. But can I just tell you something? This world needs a gospel. And it needs us not to be normal in this area. You see, a Christian who is normal in this area, they're just glad that God saved them. And by the way, be glad God saved you. Yeah. You know what they used to say? If you're saved, can you tell your face? Okay. <laughs> but a Christian who is not normal is glad that God saves others. Well, that was weak. Thank you, Jerry. Even in a Browns jersey, you got that right. Can we just share the good news with somebody? Can we tell people Jesus is wonderful? You see, the gospel is not just a blessing we receive. It's a responsibility we are to fulfill. Yes, sir. Let's turn this city upside down Amen. lovingly. Yes. Let's be doing, do everything we can and be aggressive. I got to hurry. <coughs> I don't want to be normal in serving. 1 Corinthians 16, 15, he says, I beseech you, brethren, ye know them of the house of Stephanus, that is, the fruits, first, the first fruits of Achaia, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Amen. I wish we had that. Like, those people down there, they're just addicted to serving Jesus. Amen. Okay. Amen. By the way, I get it. Some addictions are not normal. Are, they're negative, right? Drugs, alcohol, pornography. By the way, so I'm struggling with some of those. Go back to the first point. God can get you through that. Some, some addictions maybe aren't necessarily super negative, but they're, they're neutral. Okay, now I'm going to lose friends. Video games. Hey, look, can I just tell some of you single guys something? Get out of your parents' basement, basement shut down your video games, and get a life. Okay, you're probably watching that Barbie movie. 
My hero is Ken. Man, you might want to talk to G.I. Joe for a little bit. I'll tell you what. I will watch the Barbie movie, Frank, if G.I. Joe goes over and beats Ken up. Let's go, man. I'll tell you what. Next fight night at, our, at my house, guys, when we're over there having a Bible study, uh, let's have Ken versus G.I. Joe. Let's go, man. I'm already in on that one. Man. That went down. Just kidding. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I was kidding on us. A hobby, nothing wrong with a hobby. Here's the biggest addiction, you ready? That's not really, we don't think of as bad, cell phones. So pastor, I, I don't think people are addicted to cell phones. Make go to a restaurant. My wife and I are the only ones looking at each other. Everybody else is like this. Well, I take it back. I'm the only one. My wife's on her phone too. So... <laughs> I think I have a rule with her. I'm like, honey, no cell phones when we go on our date nights. Let's just, I'll, I'll tell you, one time Gary took us to a really nice restaurant. And it was, I think, Allison, you might have been there. It was like four couples. And Gary goes, okay, everybody put your cell phones down in the middle of the table. He goes, if we get through all of dinner and no one touches their cell phone, I'm paying for everybody. He says, but if you touch your cell phone, you're paying for everybody. That was a nice restaurant. Can I just tell you something? I spent the whole meal focused on my wife. I mean, if she flinched, I stuck my arm out. I am not kidding. That wasn't preaching. That was the truth. Okay? But anyhow, what are we talking about? Oh, God, yes. Okay. But here's the point. What about serving God? <coughs> By the way, if you don't... If you're not involved in ministry and you want to know how good it is, talk to someone that does it. Yes, sir. Talk to our bus workers. Yep. They love it. Talk to our ushers. Talk to, talk to uh, our, our go, those that go to the rest homes. Yes, sir. Talk to those that help our wheelchair folks get here. Talk to those that teach Sunday school, junior church, you name it. They love it. Amen. They love Get involved. Amen. I don't want to be normal and just come and sit in church. See, a Christian who's normal focuses on being served a Christian who is not normal focuses on serving others. And the last one is this, and I'll be super quick. In supporting. Jude 22 says, and of some have compassion, making <coughs> a difference. Tell them I'll be done in a minute. When you get saved, it ought to change how you see everything in life, right? I, I saw my purpose in life in a new way. I saw my relationships in a new way. My priorities were different. My passion is different. Can I just tell you something? When you get saved, you, the way you see people ought to be different. Amen. And I get it. We live in a political hotbed. I mean, there is such a... Whew. If we're not careful, we start looking at people in a way that we shouldn't. And I get it. There's, there's things we need to deal with. I think that if someone commits a crime, they ought to be arrested. Amen. Okay, you're not helping them. But can I just tell you something? You ought to look at people and say, they need Jesus Christ. Some people just need someone to care about them. Have you ever thought about that? What is pity? Compa compassion. It's a pity or a concern that moves me to action. Compassion isn't seeing someone that has a problem and say, oh, poor them. They have a problem. I feel so bad. And we move on. Compassion says, what can I do to be a part of the help? Amen. You know, sometimes we just need to care. 
That's why it's so hard. We've seen so many people murdered on a screen that it's just a disconnect for us. If we see a video of it, because it's all posted on the internet, if you see it in real life, it's just a little bit different than what I'm watching in my entertainment. It's because our heart's getting hard. We've seen so many things on a, violence on a screen, it's now just amusing to us. And I've seen the videos too. People send them all that stuff. And here, I saw a video a couple weeks ago. Someone showed me three, three, uh, three guys beating up these ladies and everybody's standing around their cell phone watching it. By the way, the guys that were filming it, they're kins. We needed G.I. Joes. Like, oh, but there was three of them. Okay, but there's a, the ladies were fighting. Snap out of it, man. What's wrong with us? Everything is like a disconnect because we see it like this and we don't see it from the standpoint of what's the right thing to do? But we get like that with people and our, our hearts get hard. And why are they doing that? And yes, it's irritating. They need Christ. By the way, some of you look nice except for the 49ers, Raiders. And look, San Jose Sharks, really? Praying for you, buddy. Um, but some of you, no, no Broncos. But some of you look so sharp at church but I know where you came from. And you don't have the compassion towards people that were once like you. Come on. Well, they're messing up my, our nice church. We'll paint the walls. And by the way, don't bring your drinks in on the carpet. That still annoys me. Okay. And look, when you stand on the wall, don't put your heel on it. That annoys me. But look, if the wall gets messed up because we're bringing people into church, then we will have messed up walls. And then our maintenance crew will fix it. Okay? But the point is, I just don't want to be, I, I want to care. I want to care. And I don't know about you, my heart gets cold. Like, why are they doing that? And they shouldn't do it. I get it. But <clears throat> can I take the next step? They probably need the Lord. Right? I look at some of the things like, why did that person do that? And I'm thinking, you know, remember what you did when you were a kid? I'm like, no, 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 stop. I don't do that anymore. Come care. Here's the whole point. Don't settle for just being a normal, if there is such a thing, Christian. <coughs> Christian life was meant to be 100% lived. It will not be successful any other way. It won't. It doesn't work that way. And so what I'm saying, don't just settle for status quo. Get in and say, Let's go. Let's bow our head and close our eyes, please. I want a couple minutes longer than maybe I thought. The singing was super long today. <coughs> I want us to look at our lives today. I want us to think it through. By the way, <coughs> if you're a new Christian and this is new to you, I I'm talking to you in the sense of you're new on this journey. Don't settle for normal. Sometimes we settle for normal because we compare ourselves to others. But why don't we say, Lord, I want everything that you have. If you're offering it, I want it. And I want to give you everything I have. I'm not perfect. I never will be. I'll make mistakes. I'll come short sometimes. But you're going to get everything that I have. That's the way to live life. And that's the way to be a Christian. <clears throat> Are there areas in your life where you're a little bit short? I could have went on and on and on. There's many others, but I think you're getting the point this morning. Now, let me say this. 
If you're here this morning and you've never become a Christian, you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can't even have a normal Christian life if there is such a thing because you're not a Christian. Here's a question. This question clarified it for me a long time ago. If you were to die today, are you 100% for sure that you would go to heaven or do you have some doubt? If you would say, Pastor, with nobody looking around, would you say, Pastor, that's me. I am not 100% for sure if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. I have some doubt. Pastor, would you pray for me? If you would quickly put your hand up, I will say, I see you back here in the back. Yes, I'll pray for you. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Let's stand together. Are there areas, you know, sometimes there's Christians, there's certain areas in their life, they'll say, Lord, I'll give you 100% in that area, but in this area, I'm going to back off. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. If God spoke to you about anything at all, why don't you come? That's what this altar is for, to pray and ask God to do something in our lives.